Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR on community radio, 855kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill, and this week we have a different format for the show. My guests today are Anna Beardsley, Bardsley, uh, who is a recovering gambler, and Judy Avasar, whose job is Gambling Harm Prevention and Three Sides of the Coin Coordinator at Link Health and Community. And they're going to be talking about their upcoming show at the Melbourne Fringe Festival called What's Your Gamble? So welcome to 3CR Studio this afternoon. Hi, Bill. Thank you. Uh, the first thing we're going to do is listen to a, a 10-minute radio play called Ruin to Recovery, and then we'll talk with Anna and Judy about their involvement with Three Sides of the Corner Initiative to address gambling harm. So the uh, Ruin to Recovery is a 10-minute radio play that takes listeners on an emotional roller coaster. It's a call for understanding that gambling addiction can affect anyone and that the stigma can prevent them from seeking help. So... Anna was involved in, I think, from the start. Anna and Judy have been involved with this project from the start. And Ruin to Recovery is a 10-minute is a um, radio play that was developed as a dramatisation from a book. And we'll talk a bit more about that later. But first, let's have a listen to the radio play. In the beginning, it was fun. Just a night out with the girls. A cheap and cheerful dinner, then a flutter. Just a few dollars didn't hurt. She enjoyed the break. Ladies and gentlemen, step right up. The wheel has been spun. There's no way to stop it. The night has begun. The lights begin flashing. Music starts playing. I put a dollar into a five-cent machine. Everything goes crazy. Coins moving across the screen. The winning amount is racing and music is getting louder and louder. Bells and whistles, silent frills, suddenly spring to life. Suddenly the sound of free games. Jackpot rings out across the crowded room. Queen of Hearts dazzles with smiles. The lonely man begins to feel better. For years, I'd been on holidays across the border to New South Wales playing the machines. So when they came to Victoria, 1992, I was ready for them. Ladies and gentlemen, step right up. The wheel has been spun. There's no way to stop it. The night has begun. Beige carpet, fluorescent lighting, mundane tasks, bone-numbing boredom. A typical public servant environment. Serious-looking people hunched over their desks. A sense of security. You're in for life. A lack of love in your life can make you feel worthless and unwanted. And you want to end that feeling. No, I'm not I doing this again. This. I, I will not go round no, and round. No, no more. Not going to do this again. No, no. Again again no, again no. Again you say the same stuff again. No, no, the same place. Sick of it. The layers of hard to handle were piling up one on top of the other until she couldn't breathe. Had to get away. Go for a drive. Get in the car. Get away. But I don't want to just drive. To be driven away. I want to be somewhere. Belong somewhere. She's desperate to get out of the house, just for an hour or two. Good morning. 
No response. That night, over dinner, I keep talking as if everything's normal. Still, no response. We were married for 40 years. <laughs> now the doctor tells us he has cancer. I'm frightened. Feelings of inadequacy coming to a head and seemingly no hope of things getting better. The reluctance to return to the havoc and misery of the home base turns into an excuse. Maybe the machines would like me. Who am I? You tell me. Queen of Hearts dazzles with smiles. The lonely man begins to feel better. A prominent film school was advertising a course in Sydney. Maybe this was his ticket out of the public service. He didn't get in and gambled even more heavily than before. Soft dark carpet and dimmed lighting, all is familiar and... Same room, same face, same night. This is a place where it's okay to be alone. The machines don't want to share your attention. I sat at my favourite machine. It was wonderful to be pushing those buttons again. Persistent tapping, cheers, laughter, clinking of glass and that never-ending reminders of the jackpot. Coins cascading into the trap sent a shot of adrenaline through her. Ladies, Ladies and, and gentlemen, gentlemen, step right up. Place your bets, come try your luck. 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 Blinking monitors mounted on the wall, stare from above. Live race meeting, greyhound harness, thoroughbred races, greyhound harness, thoroughbred races, even a football game. Nice jackpot! $8,000 is displayed across the screen. Dark, shadowy corners hiding all sorts of secrets. The loser clutches his lucky charm. The cheat starts winning. Behind the shadows, the clown is grinning. Bright lights flashing, loud music playing. The thief starts moving through the crowd. The madman sighs and mutters. Keep winking, keep welcoming, keep breaking at him. <laughs> a day in the life of a poker machine can be 18 or even 24 hours. We seldom take a break. You won't soon know you more for that. Your colours, your graphics and your sounds are designed to entice. Oh. She sat slumped into the seat looking at the screen as if in a stupor. The machine was on automatic spin, showing no reaction to her wins or her losses, slipping in note after note without batting an eyelid. Suddenly, the machine gave a free spin which triggered a big win. She sat there, expressionless. Play the machines often enough and they'll alter the way the brain works. It's referred to as the zoom. Hypnotised into a false sense of Time stands still. It's the night's darkest hour. I'd forgotten what the time was and when my next meal was coming. All that was keeping me going was an intense desire for a bigger win. I needed that rush more than the feed. Nothing else was important to me. The clock says 5am and she's still stuck in the chair. She, who had plenty of self-control and discipline in the rest of her life, couldn't seem to stop. Her hands flutter across the rows of rolling images, willing them to give her something. She scrabbles in the bottom of her bag for loose coins. You 
did that half an hour ago. There's nothing left. That was supposed to be for the rent and the car bill. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. The rents. Oh, my God. Can I just turn and walk away? Or is there something that makes me stay? That's why he was there. Not to socialise, not to drink, only to gamble. Oh, yes. Do I stop? No. I keep playing. I put it all into another machine. I can't leave them alone. They seem like friends. The lonely man can't find his queen. I knew I should walk right past the venue, only a block away from my home. But I felt something steering me through the door. G'day, love. What you doing? You having a bet? I didn't even like her. All she wanted was my money. I think her name was Charlene, TAB operator, protector of the safe. In less than ten minutes, my winnings are gone. I put in my last twenty, and a moment later, that's lost as well. She's spent all of her pension again and hasn't thought about how she'll survive the fortnight. Gamblers call it playing, but actually it's the machines playing them. Hallowed halls of temptation. The casino. Bistrals. The clubs. The hotels. Every street corner constructed by governments for our entertainment. Meals. Yes, you do the Free games. Free drinks. Join the members club. Join the members club. Free drinks. Smokers board that turns on me and eats me up. Then there's that ad that tells us what great things clubs and pubs can do for our community. Daylight is breaking. The show is over. The cheat repents. The clown is crying. The lonely man heads for the door. The loser imagines himself a winner. And Lady Luck is nowhere to be found. She remembers falling into bed somewhere around 4am. Can't recall how much she drank, how much she lost. But even after the shower, the smell of the coins lingers on her hands. She feels him watching her, wondering why she was late home. He doesn't say much, doesn't have to. The words are in her head, running on a loop. Stupid. That's what you are. A stupid loser who can't be trusted, can't be loved. You said, Enrique, that I succumb. Hope is out of your reach. If only you know how I did try. Who can understand my despair? The trail of ruin I'm unable to repair. Wake up, you say, before it's too late. Right now, you are standing at Hell's Gate. I've put $30 aside to take my best friend out for a drink tonight. During the day, I phone her several times, and by mid-afternoon, I hear the excitement mounting in her voice. I make my last call to her from Dandenong Road. I let her know I'm less than half an hour away. A tram to Elwood, a short walk to her front door. Then it happens. I don't walk past the venue. I walk in. She lifts her head and stares herself down in the mirror, not liking what she sees, what she knows this person has done to her. Who of us hasn't lined up in the toilet queue at a venue to face the mirror and give ourselves the bloody idiot speech, reserved for when we've lost the lot, bloody idiot? 
As if your life doesn't have enough crap in it. Spiraling down the darkest pit, slowly becoming a misfit, ensnared by a subtle spell. My shame, I'm unable to tell. Who are you? How the hell did you get inside me? How did I become you? Why do we put ourselves through all this? Shame keeps us there, keeps us quiet. We cannot speak out because shame keeps us dumb, keeps us in the zone. Shame brings us back again and again. And that was Ruin to Recovery, a radio play that originated out of some work done to help gamblers address the issues associated with gambling. Uh, so with me today, I've got um, Anna and Judy, and they've both been involved with the project from the start. And so I just wondered if you'd like to just talk about involvement in the in the play and how it how it helped you, Anna, and what sort of things people got out of that involvement. And then later we'll we'll be talking about your journey and about the the project in its entirety. But what's your what was your feeling of being involved in those um, vignettes and and how did they help you to address your gambling issues? Well, I'd have to start, Bill, by telling you I never planned to be in a play, right? <laughs> especially about gambling. Yeah. I never planned to tell the world that I was a gambler. I never planned to tell anybody else that I had a gambling problem. Um, but it, it was one of those things that kind of, it seemed like a good idea. The first step was going to the writing workshops that were run by Arnold Zabel, then writing the work, then helping to publish the book. And then deciding to put my real name on it because none of the none of the people in the writing group wanted to put their name to their work. We were all too ashamed to be known as gamblers. But I had written about shame and I couldn't rationalise that. And then we were given the opportunity to present the work as a dramatised reading to the Melbourne Writers' Festival and who could say no to that? Yeah. Um, so, um, so I said, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And then the challenge began of distilling the stories uh, of those of us who wanted to do it and how, how to tell it in a theatrical way. And that's when Catherine Simmons, the theatre director, came on board. And she helped us to take little pieces and tie them together. And, um, and so began, for me, the journey of distilling the story of... of leaving things out, putting things in, that were of use. What was useful to an audience and what wasn't to the people who were there? Because mm, to tell the whole story, any of us to tell our whole story would take forever. Yes. And yeah. so there are there were and, – and we were all very attached to certain parts of our story and wanted to leave it in. Yeah. Um, but we, in deference to time, we all found ways to say, no, I'll leave that bit out. And yep. I'll, this bit's more important. Right. And okay. then learning to present it in a um, powerful, strong, to hold the emotion of something without re-traumatising yourself and reliving it to a, a again. I mean, there is some reliving in the beginning, yep. but eventually it's less um, emotionally draining. But it's still emotional. It's still the truth. Yeah. I still gambled. I still felt like a loser. I still thought 
there's no hope for me that I am, uh, uh, you know, I might as well be dead. I, a lost cause. Yeah. Okay. Watson, we've got some more on the end of the radio play and it's, it's experience of the people who were involved yeah. and what they got out of it. So I'll just play that. They talk about responsible gambling, but they only mention the people who put money in. They don't talk about the other people who are addicted, the people who own the machines and the people who own the venues and the state government. They're addicted to the millions and billions they get from poker machines and gambling. As a counsellor, you've given me so much and helped me so much. I can't say thank you enough. Yeah, my counsel has been beyond fantastic. I don't know why she's stuck with me all this time, but she has. And I have to say, this group's been really helpful too. It's been terrific. Someone to catch you when you fall and put you back on your feet, keep you going. I haven't been inside a venue for years, and I drive along and sometimes I think, oh, maybe? And I said, nope, don't do that anymore. I still feel the feather of temptation from time to time, but I'm getting better. And they say it's as hard as giving up hard drugs and stopping. Um, I've survived cancer and I hang on to that thought that I've got through that, so somehow I'm going to get through this too. Yeah, I've been a hopeless gambler all my life, but I'm putting up the barriers now. I've self-excluded myself for the last couple of years and uh, it's working most of the time. I've done lots of different things in my journey to give up. I've joined other groups, a singing group and a therapeutic group. I've done some art therapy. I made a beautiful mandala about the time of my daughter's death. And that helped a lot. And I'm even learning to trust myself a little bit. The writing group gave me a way to put into words the very deep feeling of shame I have about being a gambler. I want to say thank you to all of you for helping me to understand that I'm more than a gambler. When you go to somewhere to have a meal at a place where you know the machines are there, you decide before you walk in, I'm not going into that room. I'm going to walk out the door after I finish my meal. That feels so good once you get out to the car and then you get home and think, I didn't go in and gamble tonight. I survived today. Okay then. So that's that's it for the um, for the radio play. Uh, we'll just take a quick break. Uh, I've got a song. This one's called Building a Mystery by Sarah McLaughlin from way back in 1999. That's when the energy comes and the dark side's light And the vampires roam You stretch your ass to wear in your suicide pole And across from a faith that died before Jesus came You're building a mystery Six Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 Shebop, a program that explores feminist issues. Beginning September 2nd, tune in Mondays, 10.30am, for a show where only women get to speak, but everyone can listen. You're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR. 
855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. We've got over 95 episodes of the show available as podcasts on our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash living free, so check them out. If you want to send us a message, you can contact us via 3CR on 9419 8377, email us on 3 free at gmail.com, and we're also on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. Today we're, I'm talking with uh, Anna Barsley and Judy Avasar about a creative approach to understanding the harm that arises from problem, problem gambling. So Anna's been a participant of, the, of this project, which is now called Three Sides of the Coin, since the beginning. Um, so Anna, we usually talk about gambling experience starting from childhood and looking at the things that influenced your path that led you to gambling. Um, so would you like to talk about you know, how, how you started out and the things that influenced you to take that path to become a problem gambler? Well, I have to say, Bill, that my background is Dutch. I was born in Holland, and and the Dutch don't gamble. So there wasn't – I didn't grow up in a household where gambling was normal. Um, But I did grow up feeling like I was – could never really be as good as people wanted me to be. Um, I married young, had children young, and so stress came early um, into my life. And um, I am the mother of five children. Two of them died. Um, so those two deaths were devastating and, and were changed my life utterly. My three surviving children struggled, of course, as the whole household did. Um, and then my marriage was in trouble, which is kind of unsurprising. We were married very young and we kind of... I don't know. Muddled along. Muddled, more, yeah. less than muddled, to be quite honest. And we were in business together, which was a disaster because it, being in business is hard work together. When you're married, never got away from each other. And I had been introduced to the pokies. I, I, when I was young, I didn't gamble. I, I remember in the 70s putting 50 cents on the Melbourne Cup, losing it and thinking, well, that was a waste of money, and never bet on a horse ever again. Um, So I didn't see myself as a gambler. I bought the occasional Tats Lotto ticket. But my my father's voice was always in my head saying, we're never going to win anything. We have to work for our money. But when the pokies came to Victoria, uh, they were advertised, they were permitted to advertise on on television even in those days, and they advertised it as a bit of fun. Mm. There was entertainment come along and meet new people, make new friends, all that sort of stuff. And and it was a bit of a – they were on every street corner, of course, as they still are. And I went with a group of five women and we would go only two or three times a year, not very often. And it was literally a fun night. It was not for anything other than just a bit of fun. And um, we would go together, play together, laugh together, have a cheap meal, then go in and have a flutter. And twenty dollars would, would nobody spent any more than twenty dollars in a night. And when your twenty dollars was gone, you stopped, and yep. you went and watched somebody else play. And if you won, you gave a few dollars to one <laughs> of the women, you know. And when I look back, of those five women, three, probably four, have ended up with pokies addictions. Wow. And so when I now look back, I can see that that early, it's just a bit of fun, primed me for what happened to me later. And that was um, a simple thing of having a m- arguing a lot with my husband, 
and one particular night it was a particularly bad one and I had to get out of the house. It was a cold, wet night and I thought, if I don't get out of here, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I grabbed the car keys, went for a drive and I thought, where do you go? There's nothing open. What do you do? I didn't want to just drive around. And I drove past one of those places that we, I used to go to with my friends and the lights literally beckoned from the side of the road. Come in here. You know what to do in here. It's okay. You know it's safe. It's warm. There are security guards. Pokey's dens, as I call them now, are designed to be female friendly. They're designed for women to feel okay to go on their own. They're designed to find for older women. That night, the machines did what I now know they're designed to do. I went in very agitated and upset. I put money in a machine, sat down, watched the symbols go around, and it started to settle my emotional state. I went into the beginning of what I learnt was the zone. Mm. So is that isolation by choice? It was that night. Yeah. You just I went wanted there, to get away. I went there for a break. Yeah. Okay. I wanted a break. And, I, and later on... I was going there for a break on a regular basis and going when I didn't even plan to go, when there was – there was it, it got out of my control fairly quickly. Yeah. And um, and I would sit there and say, well, rationalise it, by saying I deserve a break. I'm, I work hard. I, you know, my life is tough. I deserve a break. It was a very typical example of the solution becoming the problem. Yes. Because it worked. Yeah, that's right. I got a break. <laughs> So what about the family? How did the family feel when you got away? They didn't know most of the time. Okay. They didn't know. It was a secret. I didn't tell anybody, even myself, how much I was doing it. It, it was something I, I was ashamed of. It was not that anything I thought that was okay. So when I was going on the way home from work, you know, I'd, I'd think, oh, I'll just pop in for half an hour and then an hour later or even more, you find yourself thinking, oh, God, are we going to get out of here and go home? Mm. Or on the way to somewhere, or if I was on holidays and I could, you know, there'd be nobody knowing what I was doing, I could nick off. I spent a whole day in a venue one time when I was on holidays. Wow. Nobody knew. A whole day. I came out and thought, oh, the lights are bright. And I've been in those places in the middle of the night. I've been there at three o'clock in the morning. So is it about the money? No. It kind of seems, you think it is, but it's not. It's a, it's about um, it's about the rush a bit, um, although it got past that for me as well. When even when I won something, I would press the buttons to stop the thing from doing its thing because I wanted to keep playing. Yeah, it was about it was annoying. <laughs> yeah, it was about escaping. And the people who came in and had fun, like my friends and I used to do, were annoying because yeah. you know get out of my space. I'm here. This is like important stuff, <laughs> serious. And I, but I knew it was stupid too. Occasionally you'd look at someone sitting beside you who'd been there for hours too and say, aren't we stupid? And we'd both go, yeah. <laughs> so if it wasn't about the money, why, why did you feel that it um, relaxed you? What was, the, what was the, I guess, the, the overwhelming sense for you? Was it just a, was a, a cocoon? It was. It was a. It was a. It was like I said. I wanted a break yeah. from reality, my reality outside. And when I walked into those places, they're designed to be very other. They're not. Yeah, not normal. They're yeah, not yeah. normal. <laughs> and not normal surroundings. No. And I've learnt that they even pump 
like perfumey stuff into the air to do something to your sensory stuff. Mm. And when I was first gambling, they, there wasn't any windows in there. There weren't. They didn't no. have to have windows and they didn't have to have clocks. And so there was no sense of time at all. You're just, you're in another place, another, literally another zone. Yeah. So you don't. And just... I wanted that detachment from Reality. the pain in my life. Yeah. Uh, so you don't just lose money. No. And you do lose money. I did lose money. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. lost tens of thousands of dollars more than I would ever care to count. Yes. And it mattered. Yeah. And it's not something you would just spend on yourself. No, never. I would no. never have spent that much money on myself. Yeah. And I juggled. I was the money manager in my family. My ex, now ex-husband didn't even open a bill. If it came and looked like a bill or a bank statement, he never opened them. He left it to me. And so I could hide what I was doing. And I did that by, I had two jobs. So I was gambling the money that I earned from my two jobs. And I was using a credit card to juggle the bills that were supposed to be paid out of my wages. And and because I, I kept stopping because I hated what I was doing. And when I stopped for a while, I could get the finances back under control a little bit. But in the end, ended up with a $20,000 credit card debt. Right. That's large, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah. But the time I lost in there is is a deep, deep regret. The hours and hours. I, I, I wouldn't want to count how long, how much... M- Better, more better, more better, more interesting, more anything could I have done with that time than wasted in those places? Yeah. And the self-esteem I shredded, whoa. Yeah. So did you hate yourself? Loathed myself. I did not see that I was worth anything I because I couldn't stop. I kept stopping and then going back again. So I thought I was a total loser. I thought there was no point, No, there was... The messages of self-hate that I gave myself were huge and um, I could see no way out mm. and I didn't think anybody would think any better of me than I was thinking of myself. Mm. So, stupid, stupid loser. So how did you get help? I, I learnt things in, in little – the help came in little pieces. Help the, – the wanting to get help and wanting it to change was the first step. Mm. Knowing that there was a problem, knowing that I needed help, even recognising that I didn't know what to do. And then I thought, oh, well, how do I get help? How do I get out of here? So I gave my brain another question besides – because the pokies had carved literally a highway in my brain. I I had no control and I thought – I learnt something about how the brain operates and I realised I had to give it another message. So when the impulse to gamble came, I would say, no, I don't do that anymore. No, I don't do that anymore. No, 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 I don't do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. And um, and eventually that would get me out of momentary things and it was great for when I was driving home and yeah, on past, autopilot yeah. finding yeah. myself in the car park. Yeah. That would get me out of the car park again. No, I'm not doing that. Eventually, I found a group of people who were gamblers. It was a social inclusion group. And I went along as a support person, which was rather funny. But <laughs> People often me. start that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, I ha- and the point is that I wasn't gambling at that time. It was in one of my stopping times. And I had stopped for a, a, over a year. And to all intents and purposes, there would be people who said, oh, well, you're recovered. But I wasn't because I felt like I was on the precipice all the time. 
of falling back in again, of going any minute now something would happen and I'd be back there again. So that group helped enormously. And then I decided at the end of that year with that group that I would go and get some help. So I found a counsellor and that began that part of my recovery journey. Right. And I had, I've had years of counselling. I used gambler's help. They were free, which was important. I had no money. They were good. I found one that was a good counsellor that worked for me, that could hear my big story. And, um, and then I found art therapy groups and um, I did a, a, um, a lots of groups. And then I ended up in the writing group. And that was pivotal. What I unearthed in the writing group, the shame I unearthed there, was pivotal to where I've ended up now. Okay. Right. Well, listen, we might take a break there. We'll have another song and we'll come back and we'll talk about the next stage of the journey. Thanks, Phil. Uh, okay, so this one is called Magpie and it's by Rachel Cummings from 2002. <laughs> talking about gambling and how to reduce gambling harm and I'm talking with Anna and Judy about gambling harm prevention and an initiative called Three Sides of the Coin which allows problem gamblers to get involved in a, a group, a community that write and talk and do workshops about their gambling experience to help each other and to help other people to understand uh, the problem of gambling. Uh, so, Judy, you've been involved with this from the start. So would you like to um, talk to us about, I guess, the, the evolution of where, we've cut, where you started with um, helping gamblers to where we are today with Three Sides of the Coin and your upcoming um, Melbourne Fringe Festival um, show? How you've, how you've got there and, I guess, your involvement and what, it, what it's done Mm. Well, um, thanks, Bill. I have to say when you use the term um, problem gamblers, it reminded me that that is one of the the changes that we are bringing into this whole domain is the language. And the language is a very shaming, blaming and looking at the individual responsibility. Uh, So we no longer... Uh, use the word as a problem gambler. It's really the problem. We ha- we're looking at very dangerous products out there, and uh, also the whole um, terminology of responsible. We find ourselves questioning who is responsible in in our world today. The responsibility is all put on the individual, but we see it much more as a collective responsibility, as a industry responsibility, government responsibility, the whole. Um. So yes, the project has evolved organically. I've been very um, blessed to work in, in a situation where an organic evolvement can, uh, can occur. 
And so through creativity, we've found different um, ways of bringing the the issue of gambling and gambling harm in the community to the fore using using working with people with lived experience i like to say that the the our people are the experts the experts of with lived experience are teaching the experts by profession so when we do professional development sessions using the the theatre work, the storytelling by the people who've the lived experience, to get people to understand the the link between gambling and mental health, gambling and drug and alcohol addiction, and gambling and family violence. So that's one aspect of our work today is to go out and do professional development sessions and to do general community events to really raise awareness in the community about uh, the harms of gambling and sort of going more into the sports uh, betting arena where it's so prevalent and so easy uh, on the phone and um, waiting. I find myself waiting for a greater outcry from the public about the um, advertising during you know, sports events. Um, Maybe I'm talking more about the output than than the whole process, but the process has been one of using creativity. Yeah. So, well, I guess Anna's been involved with the creativity from the start. You were involved in the original workshops that led to the book, that led to the dramatisation, that led to the, I guess, the Melbourne Fringe. So how is it as a community, how has it helped you being involved in this project? It's helped me personally. It's been an important tool in recovery and in the sense that recovery is more than going back to who you were before, whatever happened to you. It's about becoming the person you were always meant to be. And so in I found in, in addiction you get disconnected from yourself and from everything and everybody around you. This work has been very powerful in reconnecting. The th- because when, you, when you're doing theatre work, using th- the techniques of theatre to tell your story, you get into your body. Yep. Uh, and so there's a connection to self. Re-esteem. Um, yes, <laughs> yes. And, and, then, and distilling the story, um, that is, which you have to do for theatre, because it's like haiku almost, poetry, yep. really short little pieces that mm. get knitted together. There is a sense of doing – you do it in a group – and and so the group is very connected. We rely on each other. Um, we know each other really well. We've been working together for years. So we mm. know each other. We know our backstory. We know our, our support needs. Um, you don't have to explain things. We support each other in recovery. Um, and and so it is, it's a powerful personal tool, and I've seen that it's a powerful teaching tool. Because we we enact our stories of addiction, and we enact our stories of recovery, um, and and what we think now. And the work has been evolving. We we do different things now that we did originally. Some of it's the same. And so many people who see it will come away and say, "I didn't know. I didn't understand. Yeah. I didn't understand. Yeah. I thought it was just as simple as." I didn't understand the connection between alcohol and gambling. And when you think that gambling is available in places that sell alcohol at the same time, that's a toxic mix. 
toxic. Yeah, it is. Uh, so um, one of the things that you uh, we talked about earlier was the, the fact that you unearthed the shame yes. and the fact that shame is one of the most crippling things that can happen because you don't want to seek help because you're ashamed of what you've done. So how has this writing experience and and the play helped you to deal with that? Well, the the first knowing of the shame was, was in the writing workshops because when Arnold said to us, put yourself in the place where you gambled and tell me what, write what you see, feel, hear, smell, all that stuff. And I had done... I thought I had done most of my recovery work, to be quite honest. I I still didn't know how I was going to be better than I was, but I thought that was as good as it got. And when I immersed myself into that space again, I recognised that I was deeply ashamed of what I had done, of hiding, of ignoring my phone, of um, pretending that I was somewhere where I wasn't, of lying about where I was, of hiding the money I was spending, of juggling all that stuff and... I hid it even from myself, like because I was the one who read the bank statements. Yeah, I was the only one who read the bank statements, so I wasn't hiding it from my husband. I was hiding it from me, so I would not use the ATMs at the hotels because I didn't want to see it on the the, on the bank statement. I would go to Coles and get money out. Right, Uh, it's funny, isn't it? And writing that, writing that was powerful. Yeah, because it was me seeing me. Honestly and openly, seeing it and writing about it in a powerful way, and then working, and then I realised what a barrier that had been to recovery, and what a barrier that had been to asking for help, because shame wants to live in the dark. It wants you to live in the dark. It doesn't. Don't tell anybody. Shh, 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 shh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Judy, I understand that you've engaged with other communities, ethnic communities, with this project. And I think one of them is the Vietnamese community. So do you want to share a bit about that involvement and how that's helped? Yes, we have. I mean, I want to acknowledge our artistic director, Catherine Simmons, who has a huge skill in drawing out stories from people and to the extent that she doesn't have to understand their language to be able to help them create uh, theatrical stories from their uh, from their experiences, and in the Vietnamese community in particular, it's a huge issue, uh, a huge issue also around the loan sharks, where vulnerable people are enticed to loan money that they have no way of returning. And we find that the proportion of Vietnamese in prison, Vietnamese women in prison for gambling-related harm is way out of proportion to um, the number of uh, Vietnamese and the number of people in prison. So it's a very sad situation and it's a very um, unspoken about situation as well. Um, but I may not have been clear about the, the process. This uh, Our artistic director works with people who come in workshops with fun, playful workshops to p- help people find their confidence, find their voice, um, 
tell their stories, inhabit their stories in different ways, and the eventual outcome is a is um, a collective storytelling. And what we've done is create small pieces, like 20-minute pieces that we take out into the community to get dis- the discussion of gambling happening. And, I'd, yeah, we're always open f- to have more people uh, join us, and it looks like we'll be doing some more story writing workshops with Arnold Zabel in the near future, so people should be welcome. And then the new, very big venture... Um, now of the group is to uh, go into the Fringe Festival and to perform What's Your Gamble at the Fringe Festival in Paran. Um, so it's very exciting and daunting and uh, uh, really taking the, wor- the, uh, the issue into the broader community, hopefully. To showcase it, yes. Yeah, to showcase it. Yeah. All you need to do is put Gamble in the Fringe <laughs> Festival and website. And we pop up. Yeah, and right. we pop up. Okay. And one of the powerful things about this work is that we've worked alongside. There are people who have been harmed by their own gambling and there are people who have mm. been harmed by other people's gambling. And we work together. Mm. And I would not have thought that was possible. And mm. we do it with love and respect. It's yeah. very powerful. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so if anybody's interested in going and seeing What's Your Gamble? Theatre for Social Change, uh, it's on at the Melbourne Fringe Festival on September 12th and 17th at the MC Showroom, 48 Clifton Street, Paran. Uh, tickets are $20 and $10 concession, I assume. Uh, and you can go through uh, melbournefringe.com.au or call 03 uh, so we're just about at time. Um, and can I just say, Bill, yeah. if any of your listeners do come along to the show, come and say hello okay. and <laughs> tell us that you heard us on the radio. We'd love to meet you. Okay. Um, so also, if you'd like to find out more about Three Sides of the Coin initiative, uh, then you can phone Judy on 03 9564 6137 or you can go online at linkhc.org.au. Yes, I didn't mention I, I work at a community health centre called yep. Link Health and Community. And so the the project is based there and that's the details Bill yep. gave you. Okay, thank you. Uh, that's about all we've got time today. So I'd like to thank Anna and Judy for coming in to 3CR Studio this afternoon and sharing the effectiveness of three sides of the coin with us. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you, Bill. Bill. Thank you very much for uh, having us. I hope you'll be able to join us next week when we'll be talking about the effects of alcoholism on the family and we'll be talking to Emily, who's a member of Al-Anon Family Groups. Uh, Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks for listening to the Living Free program today. 